Hello everyone, I'm Michael Whistler, and this is Exploring Tomorrow, the podcast that discusses the whole idea that maybe, just maybe, science fiction might help us save the world. And on this episode, we're going to be talking with Frank Wu and discuss a little bit about why it just might be that octopuses will inherit the Earth. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Maybe they won't make make such a mess out of it. (laughs) We'll see. So, like, back in the 60s, they talked about, like, you know, can rock and roll really save the world? And, And it's like they really believe that. And because they believed it, it's like we had all this great music and, and like people were talking about peace and, and you have the song Imagine that just kind of strides through the ages and, and just reminds human beings that, you know, it's like, hey, wouldn't it be nice if we weren't just terrible to each other all the time? Like, how about just today where we're just a little bit nice to each other? Yeah. It, that, that might be a good change. It might be a good change. Yeah. Might oh, be a good change. Oh, a puppy wants to be in my lap. Oh, there you go. So this is Kablam. Hi, Kablam. He's a he's a Bichon, and he's been my uh, office buddy since I've been working from home. Nice. Uh, yeah, I love it. I miss my office buddy. So, so yeah. So. I have to apologize because I'm like totally out of practice of actually like conversing with people. Hey, you know, I mean, uh, it's, oh, shoot. it's, it's this, <laughs> it's this reality we're in with the pandemic. I, I feel that. I feel that. There, there we go. Yeah. 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 So yeah, it's a pandemic. Who knows what's going to happen? The ceiling could fall down. There could be meteorites. Yeah. Like, anything could happen. Anything could happen and it'll make it interesting, which is fine, which is fine. <laughs> Well, you know, uh, David Bowie, um, so at the beginning of one of his interviews, David Bowie said, hey, did did you see that? There's there's like a body that just dropped, dropped like past the window. Let's go check it out. And (laughs) the whole interview was like that. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. (laughs) No, I feel like I, I I mean, I love Brianna dearly. She's she's awesome in, in every conceivable possible way. Um, and I like the people I work with though. Like every time I talk to them, I feel like HR is listening for something that they can fire me about. It's like, oh. don't say that. But, and, and it's like converse, conversation. Like, how does, how, how, how does that work? Like we we're playing star Wars Armada, like for the first time in like a couple months and we've gotten like half the rules. Like what, what are the rules for talking to people? It's like, do I get a point when, I say more, one more sentence than the other person, or do I lose the point because I'm being rude? It's like, no. How does this? Or, or like, if I like, if you say something clever, and then like five minutes later, I think of something even cleverer, but the conversation's moved on. Is it like too late? Is it like that guy in that cake song where he's like running around the track, racing around the track after everybody's left? And it's like, it's like, yeah, I, I, yeah, the thing that you said. How about this? And it's like. Wait, that was like last year or something. I was like, I don't. How does this work? Good question. It's been it's been quite a year, hasn't it? Truly a crazy, crazy time. 
<laughs> so how are you, how are you surviving the pandemic? Ah, uh, man, it's it's been really one day at a time, you know. Got got a tiny office with my wife and my daughter, and I all crammed in it, which is why you know my wife. It's busy season; she's an accountant, so she's got the office right now, and I'm hanging out in a different room okay. to be able to do podcasts on a Monday evening. But yeah, it really is uh, one day at a time, trying to uh, just stay on top of all the uh, Zoom meetings and uh, things that have to be be accomplished and uh just try, trying to get out and walk <laughs> no, oh yeah nicer. yeah walking oh god like sitting in my office like i i have hip pain for like the first time in my life ever oh, since yeah just sitting in that chair so did you have like a big uh pandemic project that you either completed or wanted to but never got you know interestingly because of how my work uh pivoted to really support um our main client, uh, in, in their efforts to, to pivot because of the pandemic, uh, we stayed incredibly busy. So, uh, I never did get to do the, like, learn to make bread, uh, or binge, uh, endless amounts of Netflix or, or things like that, you know, uh, because my work could, for the you most worked. part, you just worked during the pandemic. Yeah, oh. I know. Right. What a shame! Actually, I'm 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 thankful, you know, because it's for, for a lot of people, uh, you know, having worked during That's the true, pandemic yeah. is not is not the reality for them, and so for that, I am incredibly grateful to to have the work during during what is just truly an unprecedented reality that that's just so such chaotic yeah. <laughs> things from day to day. Who who knew that like electing that like crazy tangerine orange man right would like lead to like uh <laughs> like even earth is just like uh i do too far we're, yeah too far yeah, yeah we gotta we're, call the we're done yeah yeah <laughs> uh, yeah uh, i feel that <laughs> well frank thank you so much for agreeing to hey. come on to the uh the show. Uh, just for a little context for listeners, uh, Frank and I go way back. Uh, we worked on some short films uh, together. Worm Free Society. Worm Free Society, really cool sci-fi short. Uh, and uh, yeah, you were uh, part of the art department, I believe. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I made the poster that got moved around. <laughs> right? <laughs> that was like, in the no background. Where, it was in the background in like every single shot. <laughs> It really was. <laughs> it's just, so so that was that was a short film about like I don't the, the horrors of cubicle life or something. <laughs> right. Really sure. <laughs> and and so I made this poster uh, that was consistency is the key with a picture of like three like images of the same guy like looking up dramatically into the sky. Yes. And. Yeah, that poster got used over and over and over again. That's right. But we we connected even before that funny story. Actually, we we happened to connect uh, even before that because way back in the day, I made a short film. Yeah, it was excellent. Yeah, thank you. Which is great. Every whatever you're doing, you should stop right now <laughs> and go watch that, and then come and watch uh, the rest of this podcast or listen if that's what you're doing. Yeah, it's true. It's yeah. a it was it's a it's a really cool short. It's 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 really neat. Well, and I won't you. give away I won't give away the ending. Thank you. Oh. But it's uh, 
It's very cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, it was, you know, I was with some friends in downtown Boston and we we're handing out just little business cards, like check out the short film, just like doing <laughs> this, like sort of like very grassroots, like trying to get noticed somehow. And I remember you emailed me. And yeah, uh, I, yeah, I, I got one of your things, and my, and my response is, "Wow, this guy's working harder in his career than Justin Bieber ever did," <laughs> and uh, and I just thought that that was so cool. It, it just felt like, you know, like grassroots like campaigning. It's like, hi, I'm I'm running for public office. I'm standing in front of a stop and shop to like meet everybody. Hello, hi, I'm a real person, and and it's it's just really cool. Uh, it so, was. Oh, excuse me. Oh, you yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so that, I thought that was that was neat. Oh well, it was. Yeah, we connected that way, and then somehow ended up working on that film together. And then sometime later, when your wife uh, Brianna was uh, running for Congress, did some yeah. more work together, creating some commercials and whatnot. Uh, and and I've uh, you know. I, I knew of your interest in science fiction and creating uh, things for science fiction. Uh, but it, it, the, when I found out that you had published, a sh uh, gotten a short story into analog science fiction uh, magazine, which is uh, one of my absolute favorite magazines, um, I was like, I have to run out and get that issue. <laughs> Just because, like, you know, I'm like, yeah, I want to support my friend. That's really cool, you know. So I go and I grab the, that issue, and then I sit down to read the story, and I was just blown away. I was just really, like, I expected to be like, oh, I bet it's a cool story. But, like, it's a different level to go from, like, oh, I bet it's a cool story to, damn, that's, like, one of the best stories wow. I've ever read. And, and I tend to read a lot of short fiction. Uh, and and I was really excited to see that. Um, that means a lot to me to hear you say that. Oh, I, I mean it. I've, like it, it yeah, that story really inspired me. And and then it was picked up again by a podcast recently, right? Yeah, it was in a, a escape pod. Yeah. So you could hear the, uh, you could actually hear someone reading you the story. Really cool. So I, I was excited to come back and revisit that. Uh, so I wanted to invite you on the show, hear a little bit about what got you into science fiction and creating science fiction, and, and then let's talk a little bit about that story that appeared in Analog, which is called In the Absence it, of Instructions to the Contrary. Wait, so I've got the, I've got the, uh, uh, since this is on video, though, of course, uh, those who are watching, uh, listening to this, like, can't see it, but, right. uh, ah, here it is. Okay. Yes. So, yes. Ooh, really cool it's, artwork there. Hey, wait, wait. It's 3D. <laughs> it's coming at me. <laughs> oh, did you did you ever see? Oh God, I think it was called Elephant Parts. It was like a, a skit movie made by Michael Nesmith of the Monkeys back in, but like after the Monkeys. Well, actually, actually after and before the Monkeys. And it was uh, in the 80s, and there was like a. A parody of 3D movies like the 3D House of Pancakes. Like, would you like some pancakes? How about some syrup? And anyway, so would you like to see the art for my story? Um, yeah, so that's actually done by um, Vincent DeFate. And uh, neither the octopus nor the robot quite match the description like how he drew it but but that's okay because vincent the is a cool guy an excellent artist and just uh 
a nifty person all around and just uh he has a historic he has a encyclopedic knowledge of of science fiction art and he's uh he's just a great guy that's awesome anyway, yeah so uh where 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 how's it wait how does this conversation start how does this conversation <laughs> it's yeah. all good you're doing great <laughs> yeah. hey, tell me a little uh, bit about what I, what Oh, yeah, what I'm got sorry. you? What got you into oh. science fiction in the first place? You know, I have to say it's Star Trek. Oh yeah. Um, it's like when when uh, so for me, the introductory Star Trek was the animated series, the original animated series, not not Lower Decks, which is very very cool and possibly, I hate to say it, possibly the greatest star trek series ever made wow. but we'll we'll talk about that separately anyway so no it was it was like the animated star trek from the early 70s because it's like that was like my first you know uh i don't want to say live star trek but it was like the first time i was seeing the episodes at the same time everybody else was seeing them because i was i was too young to see the original series and and it's like um in, in the original series, you know, there's obviously cardboard sets and there's like pieces of plastic that they made that they reused over and over again by like switching them upside down. That's like the spaceship from the way to Eden is the same spaceship as the Tholian web, which is with nacelles attached. And, you know, the robot in the Requiem for Methuselah is the same as the robot in and nomad, uh, the changeling, and and it's but switch it around. Do it, dogs it's, dressed up as as supposed oh, aliens. The space dog, the space dog from the uh, the enemy within with the antenna. He's <laughs> like, rah, rah, rah. oh my god, that is so great! I saw somebody like dress up as the space dog. It is like the cutest costume. Oh my. Gosh. Like oh my god, uh, it's it's the the cutest thing. Anyway, so like in the in the animated series, like they weren't bound by a budget because it's like they're hiring this guy to like paint a background, and it could be the coolest, spaciest, weirdest background, or it could be like just boring and stupid, like the backgrounds in like Tarzan or something. And because um, like, how do you make a jungle interesting? Anyway, so. Um, and and they weren't bound by bound by budgets so that they could have a main character on well not a main character but like a regular character on the bridge who's got three legs and three arms or you know you have uh, Maress who's like this Catwoman and and it's like it like weird like slug like aliens and insect aliens and plant aliens and and it was it was just really cool it was like you could do anything just by drawing it and just start thinking of it as as it's just really neat so um star trek of course taught me and like leonard and the Moy taught me like how to think like a scientist okay it's like you have that thing out there you don't know what it is process of elimination you figure out what it is or it's like you do tests it's like okay well is the thing alive is it not alive if it's if it's uh, you know actually alive and sentient we really shouldn't be killing it but if it's not sentient, phasers on phasers on, <laughs> and uh, yeah. So I mean, there was like a, a a scientific process that you saw, kind of, sort of, like on Star Trek, and and you know that that got me interested in science, and 
and uh, you know, I was interested in writing uh, and yes, Starker. What 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 got you into science? Oh man, that was uh, Jurassic Park actually. Jurassic Park. Yeah, Jurassic Park. Uh, seeing that, and then reading the book, and just really—I mean, like I had liked science fiction before that. I watched like Blade Runner like way too young. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's and, a great movie. Yeah, a favorite. And uh, but like that, Jurassic Park solidified it for me, where I was just like, ah, oh, I want to. I want to make movies. I want to write books. <laughs> and, and I love this genre, you know, like where you, like you can utilize the, you can speculate, you know, about advancements in science and then like explore all these crazy things. So it, it was, it was anything huge. could happen. Yeah. Anything could happen. And then you got You got questions when anything can happen. Uh, how do we respond? Who do we become when those yeah, things Yeah. Who do we become? Yeah. That's the that's the $64,000 question or $1 million question, depending on right. <laughs> I guess how old you are. Uh, <laughs> like, how do you, because, like, you have these, like, war movies where people are faced with death. And it's like, how do you respond to that? Right. Which is like, and, it, and it's like, how do you respond to, like, alien invasions? Yeah. I mean, well, how did you respond the last time aliens invaded? <laughs> well, the last time, <laughs> right? No, no, no experience with it yet. Though I did just finish reading Avi Loeb's uh, fantastic book about uh, uh, Oumuamua, the uh, the object that flew by in twenty seventeen. Oh, yeah, the yeah the thing that that is like Rama from Rendezvous with Rama, but not quite. Right, yeah. <laughs> So wait, so what was the conclusion? What what actually is Well, is I mean, he, you know, the the scientific community c consensus is certainly it must be something naturally occurring even though there you know that any explanation we can come up with that says it's naturally occurring uh ends up having to like do some fancy footwork around several of the divergent details, not least of which is how it changed its trajectory uh around the sun and accelerated smoothly right not not unevenly and we didn't see any gassing out the back of it uh so he's arguing for this this seems like the simpler explanation is that it was something designed it was something manufactured really from then it came from interstellar space so it, it cool. may well be a light sail or, um, or just, you know, some sort of piece of junk that, uh, from, <laughs> from, a, from a civilization somewhere else. It's a really interesting speculation, you know, but this is a Harvard astrophysicist, uh, you know, compellingly making the argument. It's pretty, well, it, it could be like the advanced, uh, spacecraft scoping us out. Right. <laughs> could be. And like the invasion. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Who knows? I mean, there's so many great science fiction stories that are like, well, the thing that you saw was actually the guys checking us out to see whether they should blow up the earth or not. Right. And dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yes, they have decided. And oh my God, here they are right now. Um, <laughs> or in our case, they, they flew by and they're like, um, 
they're doing nah. a good enough job destroying themselves. We're all set. <laughs> well, it's it's kind of like when you're on the highway and like you see the the giant sign that says Elvis or Cave Bear or you know Bigfoot, and you're like, hey, that. Oh man. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> stopped and gotten ice cream over by the big giant Bigfoot sign. Why didn't we do that? And that's what they're probably thinking. That's like right. we should have stopped to like. Yeah, I, I don't know if like other plants have Bigfoot, but it's like they should have come here to get ice cream with Bigfoot. Right. <sighs> Missed opportunity. Can't help really? but feel a little insulted. I know, right? Like, oh, it's like it's just... we didn't try hard enough to have we, our roadside attractions are just not. Yeah. It's not appealing enough. Nope. Yeah. We got to step up the game there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um. <laughs> what were we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't even know anymore. <laughs> no, it's great. Yeah, no, we were talking about like what got us into science fiction, which is which is awesome. But you you also then you you got into science fiction, but you also have a background in science, if I remember correctly. Right. Yeah. So um, I have a PhD in bacterial genetics from the University of Wisconsin. Go Badgers! Ooh. And. Uh, uh, so if you're ever in, in Wisconsin, uh, in near Madison, check out the Paoli Cheese Cottage. I uh, highly recommend that. It's a nice uh, nice bike ride uh, directly south of, of Madison, well, as far as I remember. There's also a nice quarry in that area. So if you sign the waiver, you can go and look for fossils there, which oh, is nice. uh, kind of neat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very cool. And uh, there's uh, the Cave of the Mounds, which is uh, very nifty and, you know, caverns. Caverns are always cool. Yeah. Caverns are always cool. And uh, uh, I don't know how hour, two hours, something like that. It's like south of the Dells, which is like roadside attraction. Like it's just extravaganza. Extravaganza. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Anyway. So, yeah, yeah. So I got my PhD in Wisconsin. Oh, Wisconsin is a place that Neil Gaiman wrote about in, in like um, the thing that they made a TV show of with like the, the House on the Rock. Uh, like whatever that thing was that they recently made a movie oh, was out. it uh, American Heroes? Or American, American, American Gods. American Gods, yes, that's it. Which which has the, like, one of the basic ideas in American Gods, which I just find so fascinating. I know I'm totally avoiding the, the like, <laughs> a subject in here. No, so American Gods has, uh, he throws out this idea that, like, you have all these people in America that are, like, uh, let's make a model of Eiffel Tower out of beer cans. Sure. Or, hey, let's make, uh, it's like Stonehenge, but refrigerators. Or, you know, whatever. And um, it's like, why do people do that? And his idea is that there are nodes of spiritual power, you know, kind of like what the um, Aborigines believed in, in Australia. There are certain, like, dream lines and, and um, uh nodes of spiritual power but uh, but of course like so many americans are you know either catholic or, or protestant or are um jewish or you know a smaller number or are uh members of other uh religions and it's like you go to sunday school and they don't teach you how to respond to a node of spiritual power but you feel its presence you're like there's something happening here what it is exactly clear but it's like 
you know, the, the Psalms aren't telling me what this thing is. And it's like John 316 is great and something to live by. Uh, and Romans 8 is, of course, too. But like none of those are explaining to me what this node of spiritual power is. <laughs> and this node is telling me I need to do something grand. And that thing is going to be Eiffel Tower made of matchsticks. Or, you know, whatever. Or it's like Bear Can Museum. Yes, that's it. And, it's like, and I think that's one of the reasons, like, you get that stuff. And, well, that was, like, Neil Gaiman's idea. But I take it as my own, like, why you get, like, stuff in America. Because you have, like, more roadside attractions per square mile of America than you get, like, in any – like, you go to Australia, and Australia is great. I love Australia, the – the kangaroo burgers and crocodile burgers and the quaggas or not quaggas, the uh, uh, wallabies and koalas. And it's, it's a great country, but no roadside attractions like anywhere. <laughs> and it's like, why? Where? Where are the giant concrete dinosaurs? Right. Where? Where is the cow made out of rusty metal on the side of I five on the way north from? san francisco the, to seattle it's like where where is like I, I you know where are the giant bigfoot signs and the paul bunyan the, the 30 foot tall tall uh, you know it's like they have they have guys they have like ned kelly who's like a you know hero in australia where's the 30 foot tall statue of ned kelly I mean, that would be, I mean, like, if I'm not mixing up my Australian lair, like, he's the guy who, like, you know, hammered together a whole bunch of, like, pieces of, like, uh, metal, like, shovels or plows or whatever, and built this, like, armor. So, so I, like, <laughs> walked around in this, like, Iron Man suit no in the way. 1800s. Yeah, yeah, I think that's Ned Kelly. And it's, like, uh, eventually he got shot down because they, like, you know, shot through it. But it took, like... A lot of shots till I get through his armor. Dang! And I think that was Ned Kelly, but I, I, again, I apologize. I, I can I can check with my uh, Australian coworkers. So yeah, know. ask them about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, the Australian Iron Man. <laughs> and it's like, where is the thirty foot tall statue of that guy? Right. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that'd be really cool. <laughs> but as far as I know, there there isn't one. Hmm. So like, missed opportunities. But but the opportunity is still there. Yeah. Which is cool because it's like not every not not all the great songs have been written. Yeah. Not not all the stories have been all the great stories have been written. And like you, 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 I'm pointing at you. <laughs> and every time I see your name, I want to call you Miguel. Uh-huh. <laughs> Miguel. I, I get that. Miguel, the stories <laughs> are still out there. The novels are still out there. The films are still out there. And you, Miguel. And everyone else watching and listening, you could be the person that makes the 30-foot st- tall statue of Ned Kelly or whatever it is that you want to make. Yeah. That's not your thing. It's wide open yes. for us. Keep creating. Yes. Yeah. The future is yet unwritten. True story. What were we, what were we talking about? <laughs> this this is great. This is too much fun, man. <laughs> I, I just I can just like wind you up and just like watch you go. Um, well, yeah, I, I wanna I, no I wanna hear a little bit about anymore. what inspired. Uh, oh, you know, uh, in the absence of instructions to the contrary. So if you can give me just a little like 
you know, a quick synopsis for the for the okay. listeners who haven't aren't familiar with it. Though I do highly recommend you go check it out, uh, either uh, you know on Analog or Escape Pod, and I'll post links for that uh, below where you can check that out because highly worthwhile experience to go either read or listen uh, to this story. But yeah, I want to hear a little bit about where it came from. So, okay. So uh, where did it come from? Um, okay. So I'm going to backtrack a little bit and eventually get to talk about the story. So this is my second story that was an analog. And uh, the first story that was an analog was Season of the Ants in Timeless Land that actually takes place in Australia. Nice. And uh, um, I had literally been writing that thing. That got published in like 2015. And I had been writing that thing since I think 1988 Damn. is when I remember working on that thing. Damn. And, and it's like... I had this like cool idea and I had no idea like what to do with it or how to, how to write it. And, uh, the, the idea is basically, this is a little bit of a spoiler, but it's like, uh, whatever. So, okay. In the first man on the moon, uh, they, uh, HG Wells, there's a Ray Harryhausen movie. They discovered that there's a civilization of like ants, uh, like living underneath the surface of the moon. Cause it's first man in the, not first man on them ah. oh and and so yeah so they're actually inside the moon and they see all the caverns and stuff full of ants and stuff like that and uh meanwhile i read or someone I, i'd met this guy who's like really into meteorites it's like like really into meteorites like he would get maps and say like okay they found a fragment of a meteorite here here and here which means that this is all the same meteorite, which means that there's probably fragments of the same meteorite, like every you know possible location, like in that line. So he would like walk for miles, and on on that trajectory, like like finding the pieces of the meteorite, which is like really really cool. Anyway, cool. so oh, also like the only one of the Sputniks that the Russians ever launched in the space, like came back on on land. It was actually in Milwaukee. I think it was Milwaukee. And like his professor got a piece of that because he was a, like the metallurgist at, at Milwaukee that like had to study it to like figure out like is it Sputnik or is it aliens? Because <laughs> like yeah, yeah, I'm not saying it's aliens, but it is aliens. <laughs> and um, so so as, as a metallurgist, like one of the things that you get to do as as your studies is you get to slice off a little piece of whatever it is that you're studying and keep it for your files. So he, as the guy's grad student, like was able to slice off a tiny little piece of that guy's tiny little piece and keep it for his files. And then because I was like, you know, so into it, he sliced off a tiny, tiny little piece from his tiny little piece off of that tiny little piece and gave it to me. And so I have this like little square that's like, you know, two millimeters by, by two millimeters by one millimeter. And it's like, but it's Sputnik and it's been in space. That's awesome. So what were you talking about? (laughs) Oh, right, right, right. Okay. So he told me that like a lot of the meteorites that we find on the earth are actually from the moon. It's like something hits the moon, boom. And then like, you know, rocks go around the earth and eventually like land on the earth from the moon. And I'm like, okay, let's combine those two ideas. 
It's like you got ants on the moon and you got meteorites from the moon. So what if one of the meteorites has like an egg in it from one of these like space ants? And so that's that's basically the premise of of the story, which um, many of the readers thought was completely ludicrous and completely (laughs) stupid. And others were like. Yeah, it's kind of fucking brilliant. It's <laughs> awesome. So it was very, it was polarizing. Very, it, was, it was very polarizing. Well, Gardner Zazwell, who's like an important editor and, and, and writer and stuff, who, who unfortunately passed away a couple years ago, uh, he gave it an honorable mention, and it was like, you know, a best of uh, anthology. And I was wow. like, oh, my first star got an honorable mention for Gardner Zazwell. That's, that's awesome. Oh, that's great. And and so I I was gonna give up on writing. I was gonna like I've been fucking writing this goddamn story, bro. Um, and and I was like, and I'd submitted it to like a billion places, and they all rejected it. And then I submitted it to Analogs, like they're not gonna take it, and they took it. Wow. I was like, and, and I talked to Trevor Cashery, who's the editor of Analog, right. later, and he said, you know, I, it was kind of a risk taking the story. I thought it would be kind of divisive. And, and it was, and, but you know, it's like, I went out on a limb and I'm glad that I did. I'm like, I'm glad that you did too. Right. And and I'm like, wow, you know, this guy like went out on a limb for me. So I'm going to like, you know, reward him by like, you know, giving him like first dibs on all my stories. Like if he wants to pull, I'm not saying like you have to publish these stories. Right. Right. Yeah. But that's really Ah. cool. Getting wrapped up. Okay. All right. Okay. Doggy there, getting there. wrapped up in the cable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're not calling me right now, are you? No. Is your name spam? Um, it used to be, but I changed it. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> now your name is Mikael. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. So what we're talking about? Oh yeah, yeah. So so Trevor. Trevor, uh, so the thing, the impetus that finally got me to finish writing a story after working on it for like, what's 2015 minus 1988, is um, a friend of mine, Jay Lake, um, passed away. And, and it's like, oh, that's, that's kind of sad. He, is, uh, he wrote like tons and tons of stuff. And, um, and, and it's like, well, you know, it's like we have a limited time on this planet. Yeah. It's like, you know, uh, God gives us a certain amount of time and we can like screw around and waste it or we can use it productively. And we could use it to use writing to make the world a better place. Right. And yeah. um, I thought, well, you know, it's like uh, Jay's gone. I, I can't keep screwing around with the story. I either have to like get it published or like just give up on writing. And so I, I I finished that up, and it's a weird, weird story with lots of jagged scene changes that people hated, and other people were like, "Okay, I see where we're going with this," and you know, point of view changes because this is the story that I wanted to write, You're right? And I was so happy that Trevor, like, he he had me like make one little change to it, but like the ending was the same, and it was like exactly the story that I wanted to write. Like all kind of kind of messy with all these like uh, uh, a protagonist who like works and works and works but doesn't quite get what he wants at the end 
and and like he has a conversation with God, <laughs> and 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 like most of the time, like uh, so. Uh, I remember like when in 19, uh, 1985, I was uh, uh, volunteering at uh, La Primera Iglesia Baltista de Atzco Bozalco. Uh, so I was on the mission trips that summer with a um, Latin American mission, and I went down to Mexico City, the, like the First Baptist Church of Atzco Bozalco, which is outside of Mexico City. And, and it's like, um, I remember this, uh, the guy that I was rooming with uh, was from like, he was a, a good-looking guy. That's like, uh, I mean, our our South people tell me I'm not really a good judge of that because, um, I mean, if if uh, if you are, that's great. I'm I'm not. I mean, that's that's not not my thing. But if it's your thing, that's you know that's fine. And anyway, so like one of the one of the girls in one of the Mexican families that we met was like came up to me and said like. God told me that Brian is my soulmate and I should like talk to him and tell him that I'm in love with him. And what do you think about that, Frank? And I'm like, okay, well, how many girls are going to tell me that they're in love with some other guy? But okay, fine. Whatever. But aside from that, Ouch. Um, you know, if, <laughs> yeah, exactly. If, if God told, told you that like, you know, you should, you know, like Brian's your dude. You should go for it. And, and so I, I said, you know, if God told you that, like, I got who am I to argue with God? So she talks to Brian and Brian's like, he comes to me afterwards and says, Frank, what did you say to her? Why did you let her do that? This is like the stupidest thing. And now I have to deal with this guy. Like I have a girlfriend back in Alabama, and I don't. I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna date some girl in in Mexico when I live in Alabama, and I've already got a girlfriend, and, and it's like, what what are you what are you doing here? And I'm like, oh, okay, then. I guess God didn't tell her, <laughs> and and so no, but the but the point the point is that like a lot of people see God as this sort of like um candy machine or mm -hmm. piggy bank or it's like i want a new house so i pray for a new house or i want like a fancy car so i pray for a fancy car when really we should be praying for love and peace and understanding and helping to promote that all that stuff ourselves uh right yeah uh, and and so like in the story the guy has this goal and he prays to god to like help him meet this goal and god basically says you're barking up the wrong tree, dude. It's like, because <laughs> every once in a while, God will tell you no. Mm -hmm. And and it's like, you know, God said no to Abraham. He said no to Moses. He said, I, you know, there's there's lots of times where like people ask God for stuff in the Bible. And God's like, dude, that's not the plan. <laughs> That's not that's <laughs> Missed not the plot. what will advance the cause of humanity and love and, and wonder and, and making the world a better place. And it's like, just don't do that. The, the thing that you're asking me for permission to do, no. Don't, that's a hard do pass. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. And so in the story, like God says, no, no, uh -uh, no, no. 
No. Because <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what happens at the end of the story, even though it's like a spoiler alert. Okay, so so this guy is basically like the super orchid man and like the answer overrunning Australia. And he's brought in as this American orchid man to like ha- help the Australians deal with their gi- with their giant ant. Not giant ant problem like giant ants, but like giant ant problem. <laughs> anyway, so. I get you. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's like we don't we don't need a criminal lawyer. We need a criminal lawyer. Anyway, <laughs> so Breaking Bad reference. Um, <laughs> so, so like he's like praying to God to help him like kill the ants and stuff. And God basically says, "Well, you know, it's like eh, this is kind of a Pharaoh and, and Israelite situation where it's like the." I had to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites leave, you know, let let my people go. And he didn't want to hear that. And in the same way, dude, kind of like I'm telling you to let the queen of the Selenites who's landed on the earth in this meteorite to like go back to the moon and like don't kill her. Even though like you came here to like kill all the ants, like don't do that. And he's like, oh, (laughs) really? And God's like, yeah. Yeah, yeah really. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> and there were like a lot of people that just hated that part of the end. Oh, I'm sure. They're like, because like God's on my side. It's like everything I believe politically, like God, God's right with me. It's like, well, yeah, but are you with God? And that's <laughs> Yeah, and there's and there's yeah. that um potential tricky relationship there, like Oh, you're stepping out of hard sci-fi the moment you introduce God into the equation. Yeah. So that's a tricky territory. Oh, people fucking hated that. They're like, oh, the story doesn't belong in analog. It, it belongs in, like, I don't know, like uh, some other non-science-y science fiction magazine. <laughs> Why shouldn't Christianity Today publish this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, man. So, oh, they, they, yeah, some hated that part but that was that was the story that i wanted to tell yeah, and that's share. awesome Kirk, yeah like went out on a limb too so after that uh, i was like okay um I, i'm gonna write something else not i got something accepted i gotta write something else it took like uh 70 000 years to write that one story it's like maybe i could write the next one faster right so um so I've I've always been fascinated by like um, this whole idea of uplifting. Mm-hmm. Like we, uh, you know, we breed dogs to to be like not these wolves that will sit in my lap and like rip off rip off my face and like you know <laughs> eat my throat and everything. And uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think I could be doing this with a wolf. No. And. <laughs> And, and it's like, uh, okay, so uh, and it's kind of combined with the idea that like um, when when people talk about like destroying the earth, they it's really hard to like destroy the entire planet. Right. It's like even when the meteorite or comet or whether asteroid, whatever it was that hit the, hit the earth uh, 65 million years ago and wiped out the dinosaurs and wiped out like most of the life forms on the planet, it didn't wipe out everything. No. In fact, there it kind are, of are. cleared the way so mammals could could take over. <laughs> and here and we, we could are be having pleasant conversations. You're right, exactly. Uh, thanks to thanks to that comment or whatever. Yeah. 
And um, uh, but like, uh, okay. So if uh, <laughs> human beings wind up like destroying ourselves, like there are a lot of animals on this planet would be like, no, kind of good riddance. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. And like. Oh, now we won't have like these death zones all <laughs> like and at the bottom of the ocean, like you know the you know, and Puget Sound and Mississippi River, you know all these. It's like we won't eventually the giant garbage right. uh, gyre will go away, and, and it's like so it's it's part of that idea, and it's not like I hate people because I love people, right? Sometimes <laughs> <laughs> I feel that and, I feel that, and, and but it's like um. Okay, so so William, uh, not William Campbell. He's the guy that played the Klingon in the Star Trek Tribbles episode. Not Joseph Campbell, because he was like the myth guy. Yes. But John Campbell. John Campbell Jr., who was a longtime editor of Astounding and then became Analog. Right. Uh, he said, he, he, he asked his writers, like, write me an alien that thinks as well as a human being, but not like a human being. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was like, okay, that's a challenge. That's a challenge for me as a writer. And and so I was like combining all these things with like uh, the idea of like uplift and like uh, my friend Kevin in grad school had asked me once, you know, it's like octopuses have like eight arms and they're really smart. And it's like, why don't they just fucking take over the planet for right. <laughs> And, and it's like, I, I didn't know. I didn't know. So I, I read like uh, like every book, every single book that I could find on octopuses. And uh, the, the story kind of fell out of that because originally it was going to be about jellyfishes. Huh. And, but the problem is that in, in terms of storytelling, it's very important that, that your main character has agency yeah. and makes – and either – and makes decisions, and they don't necessarily have to act because their may their decision may be to not act. Right. Like Hamlet, like doesn't do anything for most of the play, and right. then at the end he like you know, stabs Laertes and like blah blah. blah. And um. And uh, whereas Macbeth's problem is that he acts too much, <laughs> and like if you put Macbeth in Hamlet's place, and Hamlet and Macbeth, they would it, they would it. Done much better. Anyway, so, uh, so so jellyfish not being very smart, like I couldn't figure out how to make a jellyfish like a a good like main character. Mm-hmm. Even though like one one of the things that may happen with the oceans the way that they are is that like as they acidify, like all the animals with hard shells are just gonna fucking die. Right, and all the animals that eat those animals are gonna just die, and I mean this is like doomsday scenario, and I, I mean what do you have left? Because like whales eat the krill, and krill are shrimp, and they have hard shells, and you know a, a food chain like, um, but then you have jellyfish that don't have a hard shell, and it's like jellyfish kind of eat everything, and nothing, well very few things eat jellyfish. Though you can get it at Chinese restaurants, uh, which is kind of uh, – if you ever – this is a complete aside. <laughs> <laughs> so, good. so 
Okay, so so jellyfish at a Chinese restaurant is kind of like this weird hard jello, and it's like <laughs> they serve it with like sesame oil and sesame seeds, and it tastes like sesame oil and sesame seeds. <laughs> and so the jellyfish but, actually doesn't taste like anything. It's a, no, I, it's, it's texture. It tastes like it. No, it tastes like nothing. It's like a little weird. Like you put soy sauce on it, it tastes like soy sauce. Um, but it, it does have this like weird crunchy cartilagey kind of texture to it. Anyway, (laughs) so there's, there's like, you know, I guess technically they have neurons, but like, uh, you'd never know. Um, so what was I I saying? talking about what would take over the ocean? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So octopuses being... It would it make it would make sense for octopuses to take over over the ocean. So that's where that's where that story comes from. Hmm. So uh, yeah, and and also like the idea of like a robot kind of striding through the ages. Right. So that that idea comes from a couple things. There's the there's the robot in the um, demon with a glass hand episode of Outer Limits, Robert Culp, mm-hmm. who is uh, spoiler alert, uh, skip to 30 seconds ahead if you don't want to hear what happens at the end of the demon with glass hand. Okay, so there's a war with the humans and aliens, and uh, they come from the future, from 5,000 years or whatever in the future. All the human beings have disappeared, and it turns out that their genetic information is encoded on a solenoid or something wrapped around one of his fingers this robot and he's basically got to wait until the earth can you know uh heal and you know support human life again or something like that so he basically has to like protect this thing in his hand for like five thousand years as he like strides through the ages until like humans can come back which is really kind of a cool mind-blowing idea so there's that and then there's also the robots in city from Clifford Simak where it's like human beings have, you know, left or like they've all gone to Jupiter and like become like creatures that live happily in Jupiter and it's like really great story. And uh the uh, the earth is left for dogs. Again, dogs, hooray. Yeah. And ants. <laughs> and uh there's like these robots are left who are like the the last sign of of like people. And they kind of like oversee and help the ants and, and dogs evolve or not evolve and whatever. So it's like this idea of like the robots being this this character that can just live like Gilgamesh, like yeah, yeah. forever. And and so that's like why like there's that robot there that's that's kind of like helping the octopuses, you know, uh, evolve and become like the things that take over take over the the earth right yeah and i love i love the character of the robot too because yeah the robot has its own personality is in love with his scientist creator (laughs) uh, is really fascinating his whole journey and and just like processing what's going on and then making that tough choice of like do i my directive right is to not interfere uh but then reaching that point you know of like but if i 
you know, don't interfere um, this this creature. Because what I love what you do with it is like you set up that clearly this little robot, this AI has ability to love. So he loves his his creator. He also gro- grows to love the octopus in, yeah. in his own way. And so suddenly then non-interference does, it becomes not no longer feasible for him because of that kind of attachment that love and and then that's where it's like well if i kind of like think of it this way you know i wasn't told <laughs> not to do himself. it you know yeah <laughs> thus the in the absence of uh instructions to the contrary well no one told me specifically not to do x <laughs> uh, right he, he definitely plays with the rules right yeah. i love that about him because it's just very vibrant character in, in his own right and incredibly relatable so you find yourself really like at least for me i could find myself ah. really connecting with with that character ah. <laughs> can you repeat what you just said oh, i was saying yeah you know i uh so i definitely you know he's a very vibrant character and i find myself really connecting even uh with with that character the robot uh and the the journey the robot takes <laughs> very fascinating little guy so what was that journey like was that then like once you wrote it um you know you took it to analog and and it was a was a yes <laughs> yeah it was yeah it was like uh, uh right away wow and- so that was, uh, that was, um, yeah, yeah. Because, because it's like one story you write that gets accepted. That might be like an accident. It's like, there are a lot of people that I know that like wrote one good story and like, that's it. Yeah. It's like, they're done. It's like, I, I okay. I wrote everything I wanted to say to the universe in that one story. And it's like, it's like, it's like. I mean, what did Liam Golding do after Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Flies? Right. Lord of the Flies. It's like he had other books, but it's like he didn't really. Uh, and I mean, yeah. So, <laughs> so, so there's that. And um, you know, I mean, some some bands are a one hit wonder, right? Mm-hmm. And and some of those songs are great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's like, but. Yeah, I, I don't know. So actually, so one of the things I'm working on now is um, uh, I got a lot of like crazy ideas from looking through the science fiction encyclopedia in the library in the 19, um, 1970s or 80s or something when it first came out, first edition came out. And um, there was this – or maybe it was like the second – and it doesn't matter. But they talked about how Asimov – wrote all these stories in the fifties and stuff. And then eighties, she said, well, you know, actually if I take these stories and these stories, I can link my robot stories and my foundation stories into like this thing. Right. And I'm like, wow, that's brilliant. And I thought about like, uh, Ray Bradbury and the Martian Chronicles. And it's like, he had been writing those stories for like, you know, many years until it's like, what if we combine them into a story cycle? Yeah. And call them the Martian Chronicles. Yeah. And and it's like, um, so there's another writer uh, that's had some stuff in, in analog named um, Jay Work, Workheiser. 
And his name actually appears right below mine. That's awesome. In the issue that's got the Optimus story. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I, you know, I, I him, uh, Analog was having like a big shindig, and um, we talked before then, and blah blah blah. I met him. He seemed like a really cool guy. And um, we are joining forces. And he actually wrote an octopus story. Nice. That is uh, – so my octopus story won the Analog Award for best story in Analog that year. That's awesome. Like, That's beautiful. Like, I know. It's like, it's like my my proudest uh, achievement in this life. Um, and uh, so he wrote a story – about octopuses too that kind of takes place okay so mine is at the beginning of their civilization his is at the way end of the civilization where they're like what is man was there really a thing called man who knows i guess not (laughs) it's just one of those myths (laughs) yeah it's one of those myths which is it's actually like one of the conversations that the dogs have at uh, during in city in Clifford Simic City, was like, did people really exist? <laughs> nah, couldn't be. There's this stuff people made up. Anyway, so so we thought like, what if we like combine these stories into this grand cycle of stories? And then he said, well, why don't we just take all of our stories and combine <laughs> into this like thing? And it's like the story after after the octopus story. Was the story okay? So the first story is about ants, and the uh, second story is about octopuses, and the third story is about centipedes. Right, remember um, that one? And so it's like, uh, what if we take the centipede story, and it's like, okay, so that's all about the war between humans and and uh, centipedes. Great. So we gotta like tell war stories because war is, you know, awful and terrible, but fun stories actually. Right. <laughs> it's like. You know, Star Wars is is fun because it's like it's got war in it. I mean, the Star Wars is basically like a World War II movie with spaceships. Yep. And and it's like World War II movies are are kind of cool. It's like people die, which is awful, which is part of the lesson. And it's like, well, what? Uh, how do you? Yeah, anyway, we talked about like how you face life, which is as important as how you face death or the other way around. Anyway, anyway, so so. So what happens after after uh, after the robot Carl helps octopuses get uplifted on the way to the civilization, there eventually comes a war between the humans and the octopuses. Because the humans are on the land, the like the few humans who are left are like still polluting the water, the continental shelf where all the octopuses live, but like uh, agricultural rain off and like crap from factories and uh, they're basically killing the octopuses. And you'd think, like, well, humans can live on land. Octopuses live in the water or, like, you know, close to the water. And it's like, you know, never the two shall meet and everything is cool. But actually, like, you know, humans are, like, you know, pleading the hell out of the water and, like, killing the octopuses and things like that. Badness ensues. And so, um, so the fourth story <laughs> that I'm going to have an analog, which hasn't been published yet. Uh, was originally the story about like um, dogs fighting robots because That's why awesome. not? <laughs> <laughs> and as 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 my friend Chris Garcia once said, when X fights Y, 
who wins? <laughs> we all win. <laughs> when when penguins fight pandas, who wins? We all win. <laughs> so when, anyway, so dogs fighting robots. So um, in the galleys, like right before it's getting published in uh, sometime this year, like August, maybe who knows. So the galleys, like I snuck in a bunch of edits to make the robots look octopoid. So it's like, so it's like, yeah, Carl who helps the robots like become civilization, and then like some of the some of the octopuses make Carl's descendants into these like killer robots <laughs> that fight people. Oh man, <laughs> which is like completely against like anything that Carl would have like stood for. Right, and and which is part of the idea that it's like you try to like. Jesus comes down here and teaches us, hey, with, as Douglas Adams said, wouldn't it be nice if we were all nice to each other for a change? And then pe- people take that idea and say, like, he said, wouldn't it be great if we weren't nice to each other all the time? That's what he really meant. <laughs> and so that's what we're going to do. We're going to be horrible to everyone because that's Jesus' message. Um, <laughs> no. No, actually. Right. No. <laughs> Again, anyway, missing so, the plot. <laughs> yeah, missed the plot. So, so, um, so Carl, who's he's like a peacenik, um, uh, you know, hippie dippy guy. <laughs> he's a hippie dippy robot from the sixties. Um, like uh, his his robot descendants like completely misconstrue that, and and it's like. Well, you know, if Carl were alive today and humans were as terrible as they were, then, you know, it's like he would be making killer robots to fight the where actually he would totally wouldn't be. And so they make all these killer octopus robots to like fight the humans and the dogs come into play <laughs> <laughs> because uh, the humans are in, in this particular scenario, the humans are, are like we're getting killed out there by the giant robots. We gotta, we're out of here. And it's like, um, what, what about what about your your buddy, the like soldier dog that you've been training since he was a puppy, and like you know, ordered out of the catalog to have like special features that you wanted and stuff. And like you love this little dude. And it's like, but he can't fit in the the space pods because we don't have enough space pods for like the soldier dog. So he gets locked outside while the humans are. <laughs> uh, like trying to take off and so the so the dog's like what what's 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 going on so they just hang out and like fight the killer robots after <laughs> after the humans leave and so uh eventually the humans are gonna take off in this on this spaceship but like after they got into to cryo uh uh there's a cave-in and the spaceship never left so eventually the robots like kind of like break into like where the spaceship is and dogs like kill the last robot and then they're like humans. I remember humans. Wow, <laughs> humans are awesome. <laughs> and and that's how the story ends. Mm-hmm. And 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 the guys like uh wait, how do you like this it's been like 27 years like how can you can't be the same dog it's like dogs don't live that long it's like and and i found uh and and so like trevor and i were like trying to figure out like 
like how do we get the dog to remember like humans after like and luckily i found this one scientific story about like these the the memory of scents that are passed down from generation to generation wow and it's like they did this with rats it's really cool so there's this like raspberry scent that they associated with like getting shocked mm. or or almond scent or, or something and this other scent that they associated with like you know yumminess and so um the the descendants of those rats even the, um like learn like knew like right off that like that scent was associated with like horribleness mm. and like their descendants did too like and even when they in, did in vitro fertilization, like the mice still like there was a there was this ancestral memory <laughs> of this scent that was trans transferred like um, uh, through methylation of the DNA or, or some kind of something. Um, and yeah, it's, it's really weird. And, yeah. and like even some of the physiological changes, like like larger like receptors for like this. The scent, like the the grandkids had those, like the grandkid rats, yeah, is is like the weirdest thing. Anyway, so I I took that sliver of an idea and like snuck it into the story in the galleys, and and Trevor's like, okay, that's fine, that works. Um, I'm like, Fuck. um, <laughs> so so at, at the end, it, it's like uh, this guy is like, it's like. I, I feel terrible because, like, we fucking locked you outside when we tried to leave the place without you. Well, there's killer robots everywhere. And it's like, you stay there. And, like, while we were, like, sleeping in Crowley, you, like, hung outside the house and, like, barked at the mailman and, like, kept us safe from the mailman for, I mean, you know, the killer robot mailman for, like, 27 years while we, like, completely forgot about you. It's like, Oh, dogs are the best. <laughs> you don't deserve dogs. And so that's like, so that's, that's, that's that story. That's, so all that's amazing. like one aspect of the, of the robot, um, the dog versus. Robot. Yeah. That's really cool that you guys are building this like bigger world, uh, and collaborating oh, that way. That's, that's amazing. That's really exciting. I'm, I'm gonna, gonna have to keep up with that. Yeah, because uh, that's awesome. Yeah, I want to see more of those stories. Well, the the fifth fifth story again published in Analog is like the first collaboration between me and Jay. Nice. So that's so it's mostly in in his universe, but it's uh uh it it was really fun. Yeah, it's really fun collaborating. So so yeah, oh, that's like, exciting. Maybe you and I should collaborate on something. Someday. I would love that. That'd be fantastic. I think that'd be really fun. Yeah. I would that, be totally would be, up for that. Yeah, huh. we got we got let's brainstorm some ideas. That would be that would be amazing. And actually, that that leads into like one of the other things that I wanted to chat while I with you about while I have you for a little bit is um, yeah. around what advice you might have for uh, people like me, uh, other uh, aspiring. Uh, science fiction writers out there that want to break into magazines like Analog and and some of the other uh, big science fiction magazines out there. Uh, what what would you say or is essential knowledge? Well, I think essential knowledge is okay. So, I think it was Emerson 
who once said that young writers tend to give their minds too much exercise and not enough food. And so I take that as like a lot of people want to write but don't want to read. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I didn't really learn how to write short stories until I had read about, I don't know, a thousand short stories or 2,000 short stories or whatever. It's like all kinds of different short stories of like not just science fiction but like, you know, all sorts of – because like Led Zeppelin like listened to folk music and they listened to like medieval music and – you know, Gregorian chants and like, you know, whatever. And, and it's like all that stuff comes through in your creative process because you're like, oh, that's an idea that's kind of like this thing. And because, you know, I was talking to Brianna about like, well, how do you get like aliens like talking to humans? And it's like, well, the the mechanics of writing is that in the first sentence when the alien says, blah, 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 hello, my name is Bob. Uh, you have the thing he said through the translator box. <laughs> right. And so like are, you know, through a series of clicks translated into like whatever by like the fancy headphones. And it's like you don't need to mention the clicks or the headphone ever again, but you've established like and that's like how you do it. Right. Um, and, and it's like learning some of those mechanics, it's like you just kind of randomly pick them up after like reading – bazillions of stories and it's like how did because it's like people have figured out how to write stories right and, and it's like but you as an individual have you as an individual figured out how to write stories? right so if someone were to try to want to write for analog Mikael, mm-hmm. uh what i would recommend is you like sit down with a whole bunch of issues of analog and just read through the entire issues and then read more and read more and read more. And then you figure, oh, well, this is the kind of stuff that Trevor Cashery really likes as an editor. And um, and then th- there's also like just random stuff that you pick up from science fiction conventions like Sheila Williams. Um, OK, so at the, at the breakfast when I got the award, the actual physical award, which is just like. You know, like a piece of paper with like cardboard around it. But it's like, oh my god, this is such a great award. Anyway, so there's this breakfast, and Sheila Williams, who's the editor of of Asimov, right. they had, like they were giving their like you know Reader's Choice Awards at the same time, and like um, I had actually submitted the story to Asimov's to sh- and and gotten like you know rejection from Sheila after like two days or whatever. I was like, okay, screw this. I, I'm going to send it to a million places. I'm just going to send it to Trevor. And, and, and like, oh, my God, he took it. So um, so Sheila was, was talking at a random science fiction convention. And she was talking about, like, what she likes and what she doesn't like. And she was saying, like, I don't really like gender robots. I don't like robots that are, like, a he or a she that have lots of emotion and stuff and and as she said it she turned and looked straight at me <laughs> and i was like oh okay well that makes sense because and, and because i get it now is, yeah okay i got it i got it okay all right the message user, okay, received that's what, okay, yes message right received. yeah <laughs> right because like as i was receiving the story or the award for for the, the in the absence of instruction 
Contrary, like Sheila's sitting right next to me who had rejected that story. <laughs> and and I was like, okay, well, now we've completed the conversation. And I like, you haven't told me what you meant to tell me, but you really told me what you meant to tell me. And it's like, okay, now I understand. And I'm not stupid. I'm not going to talk to her about it. And that's like, okay, I got it. Okay. Right. So like some editors don't like something. Sure. Makes sense. And some, yeah. editors, some, editors, some editors do. And if like, you uh, you want to write for a particular magazine like you read uh you want to write for uh, uh Clark's World read a whole bunch of stuff in Clark's World and figure out like I mean uh, Neil Clark is not going to give you a list like I don't like flying unicorn stories right he's not going to tell you that I mean um, I guess you could go up to him at a convention I've got a great flying unicorn story. Do you do you like flying unicorns? And he'll probably tell you he doesn't like flying unicorns. I, I don't know. Maybe he does. Like, who knows? Hmm. But like, if you read through like you know five years worth of Clark's World stories, and none of them include flying unicorns or anything like flying unicorns, he's probably not the market for your story. <laughs> this, yeah, things to take note of. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Nah, that's fair. So read widely, pay, yeah, and read deeply in in your chosen. Uh, you know, yeah, magazines. I mean, if you, yeah, if you want, yeah, or if you if you want to write science fiction, read a lot of science fiction. Yeah, and because a lot of it's like there's certain stories that like, uh, two people crash on the planet. Oh my god, it's not an Eve story again. Right, and it's like. <laughs> I mean, that was kind of cool when the Twilight Zone did it, I think, twice in, in 1962 and 1964 or whatever. It was like it was a story no one had ever seen on television before. But it's like it's not 1962 anymore. Right. So it's like you can't or, or it's like I've got this story about this this little kid with magical powers and he's evil. Right. Well, yeah, the Twilight Zone did yeah. that, too. So <laughs> yeah. it's like, OK, you need to like. You need to like watch all of the original Twilight Zones to know what all the cliches are, and like don't do that unless you're doing The Simpsons, where you're doing a parody of it that's like <laughs> right. mind-blowingly brilliant. And it's like, uh, no, it says it says to uh, um, uh, to serve people. No, it says to serve fifty people. No, it says to serve fifty people to us so that we can eat them. No, 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 no. It says it says. Don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, and, and it's like, it's that's why I like The Simpsons is so brilliant. They take these like old ideas and they like, okay, if you're going to do an idea that's been done a million times, like do something new, right? Do something new. Yeah. yeah. Or pick something that hasn't fought something else ever before. <laughs> and have them fight. It's go. like dragons have never fought. Aging pot smoking hippies. You know? Probably not. Probably yeah. Not. Okay. So I'd, I'd watch that. There you that. go. I'd watch that. I'd watch that. Heck yeah. Yeah. There's never been a submarine movie about a submarine fighting. Hmm. Come on. Pigeons. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Sentient pigeons. <laughs> Sentient pigeons. Yeah. Okay. All right, yeah, that, right. I, I've never seen that. I, I that, definitely. that. That is new to me. Mm -hmm. So you you write that story, you tell it well, you get sold someone. Right. Yeah. yeah. 
That's uh, and uh, and so so yeah. Give me give me something new, like learn all the cliches that have been done, and either don't do them, get them out of your system, or do a, a parody of them, or spin on them, or something. And there's like a million cliches, and it's like by by reading, like hundreds or thousands of stories, and like read old stories too. Yeah, it's yeah. like you learn like, yeah. So I think that's that's the biggest advice, but. I have a challenge. Ooh, I like challenges. Okay. Challenge. Challenge. Okay. So, um, Clark's World. Mm-hmm. Kate Baker, who um, narrates, a, uh, right. she does the audio. Yeah, and, she's great. And so, yeah, she's she's awesome. But she doesn't read the stories before she reads them for the for the audio thing. For the podcast. I mean, partially because it's, you know. So for a podcast, yeah. So she's reading the story with like for the first time. So you get her like honest reaction. Sometimes very subtly, but sometimes like, <laughs> and um, so the challenge, yeah, is to write a story that can't be read, <laughs> <laughs> and it gets accepted to 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 Clark's. Okay, so. Uh, <laughs> There, there was this thing in the late seventies or early eighties called the Book of Lists that had like all sorts of like miscellaneous, like awesome information. It just like random list of just all sorts of stuff. And one of them was like, uh, one of them mentions this uh, guy who's a composer, and he had a friend who's like a you know, pianist, musician, whatever. And his friend said, "Whatever you re- write, I'll bet you." A million dollars or whatever. It was the 1700s or whatever. It's probably <laughs> not. But I'll bet you a whole bunch of money that like you can't write something that I can that I cannot like anything you write. I can play effortlessly without error, without having seen it before. Wow. Guys, like Ooh. challenge accepted. <laughs> so what he did was he wrote this piece where it's like your your hand, okay, right hand and left hand, and like. Slowly throughout the song, they like the hand drifts over here, this hand drifts to the left, and then suddenly there's one note right in the middle. <laughs> it's like, and, and the guy's like, I can't, I, can't, I can't play this. Nobody can play this. And so it's like, well, let me show you how, I, how to play my music. And so he like plays and plays and plays, and he gets to that point and he goes, Bing! with his nose. And, like, and it's like, that's how you play that song. <laughs> May I have my million dollars now? Right. And, and it's like, okay. So the challenge is to is to write something that Kate Baker cannot read. <laughs> I, th- hmm. I think that would be like with like weird like uh, I, I'm thinking of like those um, structure poems in the '60s where it's like the exact placement of the words on the page, like you know, formed a star or like had some <laughs> special meaning or, you know, whatever. And it's like, how do you, how do you like capture that? Cause it's just like random words on the page, but it's like, you see it and it's like, yeah, I don't know what the, uh, what the constructivist poetry or like whatever the term is. <laughs> like, how do you, how do you read that? Right. How do you make the audio version of that? <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. It's like, doesn't, doesn't really, yeah, how do you how do you do that? That's a fascinating challenge. Mm. Okay, so challenge number two. Oh, that was the first one. challenge. Okay, so 
um, what punctuation do you use to end the sentence? Period. It's like, period? Mm-hmm. Question Sometimes mark. sends a question mark. Sometimes quotation marks. Right. Sometimes like dot, dot, dot. Right. Ellipsis. Well, ellipsis, yeah. What if, what are your other choices? The challenge, the challenge is to write the story that ends on something that is not one of those. Like what if it ends on the letter, but without punctuation, but it has to because of the logic previously set up in the story. Hmm. Yeah. I'm sure there's a way to do it. I know there's gotta be a way to do it. It's gotta, but I I don't know what it is, but right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so there's that. So, okay, so here's another challenge. <laughs> challenge okay. number three now, folks. Challenge, challenge number three. So someone actually did this, and I thought it was, it was just really, uh, really clever. So when you submit a story, like traditionally, you, you use Courier uh, because of the monospace font. And then, like, the magazine would know exactly how many pages it would take in the magazine when it was published, which was very useful for laying it out and, like, figuring out how many pages for advertising, how, how big the illustrations need to be, blah, blah, blah. So it was very important as, like, you know, a model space and courier. Right. What if is – there, is there a story or a reason that a story has to be in a particular type font? Mm. Or is there a story, is there a reason that the story has to be in multiple different type fonts? So there was a story that I read, I don't know, a million years ago. And it's the only story that I've seen this where it's like actually printed in many different fonts because each font represents like, okay, so you, you have these like Kubrick movies where it's like, okay, the first section is is like, proto-human like monkey things and then the next section a section is like some guy like talking about some monolith thing on the moon and then the third section is like a totally different set of characters and it's like you know yeah. uh, uh, you know going going to jupiter and seeing the monolith in space right 2001 so, yeah. well, all these 2001 so you have like all these all these different sections and and it's like well um um Full Metal Jacket is kind of like that too, because you have like the scenes at the beginning in, in training, and then like out in Vietnam, and it's like the tones of those two sections are completely different. And so in the story, because there's different characters in every section, and, and it's a different place in a different time, it's like they represented that with a different typeface that was kind of appropriate for mm. that particular you know, whatever. And so it, it kind of worked. Yeah, and it's like completely against the rules because like. When you submit something, you're supposed to submit it in like you know, Times New Roman or you know, Courier or something like that. Right. Yeah. And but it worked, and I thought it was really cool. That's awesome. So the challenge is write a story where it has to be a particular type font, huh. and it has to be that. Otherwise, it just it's not the same work. experience. Like a movie. Yeah, like a movie that has to be in black and white. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like certain movies, like would not work in color. Like, can you imagine Manhattan in mm. in color? It's like, or you know, the 
uh what was that black and white movie that one like um the artist uh yes mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Would that yeah it had to color? be in black and white yeah and, it had and to be in black and white. well you're dealing with that that silent era that transition it, right it's just yeah it had to it had to be in black and white and it's like a story that has to be in a particular font especially if it's a font that they don't usually use for stories in that magazine right that would be totally cool. <laughs> it's like, Make it really stand out. Analog, analog uses. It's a serif font. It, it, I don't know if it's New York, but it looks like it looks like New York or something like right. that. So, yeah, so and, and to really piss people off, you, you, it, the font has to be uh, uh, Comic uh, Sans. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's least favorite. <laughs> oh, font in the world. Oh, oh my god yeah i like that cursive font that's like really really hard to read yeah. it's like oh, okay if it says fancy. like the name of the chocolate in one word i can read that fine but like oh my god like two words or a paragraph in that font it's like oh you die yeah <laughs> but it has to be that font otherwise the story doesn't work <laughs> that'd be oh that'd be rough that would be rough. Yeah. So that's, that's the, that's the a challenge. challenge. That's a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, it's like, I think about like these, these guys in like the 1700s are, I'm going to write a novel that doesn't use the letter E. <laughs> I'm only going to choose words that don't have an E in it. Well, I'm going to write a novel that doesn't have the letter A. So top <laughs> that. <laughs> it's like, uh, Okay. I'm going to write a letter and I'm going to leave out all the punctuation, just like they did in like ancient Greeks when they were writing out their version of the Bible. They were like, you know, didn't use any punctuation and I'm not going to either. But, you know, because some people like punctuation, at the very end, I'm going to have three pages of commas. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. They, did, they did stuff like this because it was like, I don't know. Uh, like maybe writers just like, smoking too much whatever they smoked back then that could be i hear i am just trying to like you know figure out how to tell a story that enough people are interested in that i can make a living but hey you know <laughs> story with no ease that works too <laughs> well how, how's your writing going ah uh, it's tell me about like how you're doing oh right? it's it's uh it's kind of slow these days and you know kind of trying to keep up with uh life and uh work and family and all that um but plugging away at it slowly i've kind of uh been focusing mostly on short stories lately and Good. uh trying to develop that and um and you know trying to branch into getting into more uh magazines and whatnot the awesome thing is that at least i've like reached the barrier now where i tend to get rejections with specific feedback uh, and it tends to be encouraging. Oh, that's good. So, like, you know, I'm like, hey, huh. all right, that's that's progress. That's I'll take. You're that. getting better. Yes, yeah. exactly. And and it, and they care enough to say to specifically say, hey, I, I actually enjoy your writing, and I you know work on this. Uh, that you know, I hugely appreciate that. Oh, that's great. And, and otherwise, uh, I've been outlining um, more uh, novels and whatnot. I do have. Uh, a novel that uh, my friend's publishing company is going to be putting out uh, later this year. That's actually, believe it or not, is the full novel version 
of stop. That like that's oh really yeah that started oh my god and explains what happened yeah holy cow <laughs> I mean it's oh like, wow it 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 takes you have that to send that to me because that is oh I, yeah I have to send that over to you to to check you out. have to send that to me yeah that is that's cool so that, that's cool because because Brianna and I sat down and watched that and we were like this guy's got talent this is really. This is like one of the best short films I've ever seen. This is really, this is really cool. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So, so again, everybody listening and everybody watching, <laughs> go out and um, watch a short film. Stop, uh, which they can see YouTube on my yeah, website. YouTube. Yep, yep. It's up on YouTube yeah. on my on my website. Yeah, I can post a link. Yeah. in the description. <laughs> Thanks for the plug. Uh, that one's been a while. <laughs> it's kind of crazy to think about it. It is. It's ten years. It's been you know. It's ten year old short film at this point. Oh yeah. Oh. That was you know twenty eleven, doing that. So, pretty crazy to think like man, yeah. that's a decade old. So there's like a whole novel behind it now. Yeah, that's neat. Yeah, it was like the crazy story there was that that short film caught the attention of a in, independent film production company in LA. Um, and you know, yeah. sometime in, oh, when was that? Like 20, maybe it was later and still in, in 2011. Uh, and there were, this guy was like, Hey, you know, saw it looks pretty cool. Would you have interest in ever expanding that into a larger, uh, story, you know, and make a feature film. Wow. And, uh, wow. and now at the time I was like, I literally was like, nah, that's literally all I ever thought of, you know? Uh, but I was like, okay, let me, let me explore this. And I came up, you know, cause it really, if you go watch the short film, it's like, it's like the beginning, the very, very beginning of a story. It's like the inciting incident. It's not even the full first act, right? Yeah. It's just the inciting incident. And, um, so I like started fleshing it out and I like came up with this way of like playing with the idea. I, I tweaked it slightly so that instead of it literally being, you know, uh, about a guy who well, actually spoiler alert for anyone who wants to go check out the, the, the short, it's like, it's, uh, it's like fast forward 30 seconds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's but, like, it's like yeah, eight minutes long, but yeah. So instead of it being about a guy who sees himself on this uh, bit of celluloid, that that he yeah. uh, retrieves from a camera he finds, um, that instead, he, uh, it's actually he, he sees himself instead of attacking himself, he sees himself attack his father as an adult, but tw like twenty years ago in a, in a bit of sixteen millimeter footage that that was recorded twenty years ago on the day his father disappeared. And now he's like trying to figure out, did, oh. did I kill my own father? And so I came up with this idea and I was like, okay, so I have like the first act. And then I was like really struggling. Cause I was like, I don't, I don't know what the rest of the story is. And, um, my, my friend in, in now boss over at, uh, Votary Films, uh, like I had just casually like said, told him what the situation was, you know, he's a fellow filmmaker and, uh, and I was like, I have this first act. I just don't know where to go from here. And then the next day he came back with, I couldn't stop thinking. So here's act two and act three. And I was like, I like it. So, 
we ended up collaborating oh. and uh, I tweaked a few things and, and based on, on his outline wrote the feature script. And, uh, but then long story short, the, uh, the, like that never went anywhere in terms like with that production company and being able to like, you know, get everything lined up and make that happen, um, to make the movie. So never got to make the movie, but then I had this feature length script and this story that I really enjoyed. And it was like, Hey, Jed, uh, Jed Burdick, who, who I had written the script with, is it cool if I like take this and expand on it even more and write a novel. And so uh, he was totally cool with it. And <laughs> I ran with it, kind of, you know, explored even more, did more research and like really got into the characters and uh, wrote this novel. So I'm looking forward to so getting beautiful. it published and sharing it with folks and would love to, to see what you think of it. Oh, that sounds, that sounds great. So when's that coming out? Uh, right now uh, it's in the uh, sort of like, editing phase with uh with my okay. publisher uh so i don't think we've set a um a publication date yet uh, but the the hope is plan is um later this year like maybe fall so that would that would be my hope at least we'll see if that happens i'll put pressure on oh something. no oh my god that's that's so <laughs> that's so great oh, uh yeah I'm, I'm i'm very pleased to hear that oh thank you yeah, yeah. Full, yeah. full circle. You, you should see your face. You have this like glow, this like, <laughs> like fatherly, like look at my little baby all grown up. And, uh, and it's like, ah, uh, that's, that's uh, kind of, that's, that's very neat. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully yeah. people enjoy it. Uh, certainly a lot of fun to uh, <clears throat> dive into that. Tell a crazy story. Are you still are are you still working on uh, making um, other films? Are you still working I, with? Uh, uh, Raja, I I haven't like worked or? with uh, Raja in a long time. Uh, yeah, we worked with on uh, Worm Free Society. Uh, yeah, I haven't actually. I've kind of I've stepped away uh, from from a lot of work in sort of narrative filmmaking, uh, doing a lot mm -hmm. of work in documentary uh, work, especially oh, for my really? for my day job. Um, kind of more focused on like that size marketing and documentary work. Um, and uh, yeah, my sort of like my personal creative uh, endeavors have really honed in and focused on, on the writing. Um, I don't have to go beg anybody for money to sit down and write, you know, <laughs> was, that, kind of, that was like one of the beautiful realizations when I, when I wrote my, my, the first novel I published, which is also based on a screenplay that I was trying to, uh, get uh made as a first feature film um there was a beautiful moment when i reached this pivotal scene in the movie and the script and the uh the novel and i was like i can make it rain i don't have to think about how many hundreds of thousands of dollars <laughs> it's going to cost to figure out how to make, to make it, rain. it rain on set it can just be fucking raining because <laughs> it's a book <laughs> i could it could anything could happen right it's just anything. i just have to write it uh so so you know that was kind of like a uh, no going back moment for me where i was just like i you know never succeeded at the whole like kissing ass and like raising funds to make features uh so so i decided <laughs> yeah you know we're gonna hang that part up and and just focus on trying to be good at telling stories in other ways. 
Well, that's awesome. No, that that uh, I, I know I know exactly what you mean. I mean, I think of the story: the sky was full of ships by the other surgeon, and that's the last line of the story: the, the sky was full of ships. And it's like he just wrote that. He just probably took him like ten seconds to write this stuff. But like, if you actually like film that right. or drew that, it would take you forever to like draw all the spaceships and design all the spaceships and, and the, get the lighting right and like the the buildings and yeah. And it's like all the people looking up going, <gasps> right? And uh, yeah, but it's like uh, as a writer, you're just like, yeah, this guy was shit. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's like. Yeah. It was raining. It was raining. raining. I don't don't have to worry about like, you know, people with hoses like outside. Right. (laughs) Some crazy big rig system that, you know, evenly distributes it. So the characters can be walking through. Yeah. And then we got to make sure the cameras are dry and then our actors are going to be miserable because they're soaking wet. (laughs) And it's like, you can't do the sound right. You're going to have to dub it later. And like the sound effects, it's like the rain is too loud too loud <laughs> it doesn't sound like rain so you gotta like just like strip, strip all the all sound out. out yeah strip it all out all the sound start out. over with literally no sound. right yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's right. like a spaghetti western or something <laughs> yeah yeah everything's like, fully yeah, everything's adr yeah no oh my god i saw um i remember it was like right around the time that we were working on warm for society and i saw some guy in in san francisco and it was um, it was like pitch black, and he had his film crew out, and they were like doing the scene, and just this like girl walking down the street, and and the street was like completely fucking black. It was just like completely dark. That's like their footage is just gonna suck. And it's like they're trying to do they're trying to do like record the sound that she's talking to herself. It's like have you. Do you not know how movies are actually made? <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's like, it's like, it, it, did you plan ahead and like plant cars in certain places so that they can have this, the, the you know, headlights so you can have some light on your actors so, right, so people can actually see the people yeah. in your movies. Mm-hmm. It's like, it, it's like, you know, uh, characters dressed in black against the black background when it's night. It's just, it doesn't work. You know, that's, that's where you just take it to the next step and do what I've always wanted to do. Maybe I'll still do it someday and make lens cap the movie. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's, Oh, well, you know, has the novelty of never been right. Done. I mean, it's, it's like, it goes by, you know, most people probably know it as a, as by a different name as a, like an audio drama, but you know, yeah. Lens cap the movie. <laughs> but in, in the sequel, the, uh, lens cap fights the submarine. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because when lens caps fights submarines, who wins? Everyone. We all win. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think uh, I I I sincerely believe we've all won getting to uh, chat with you for a while, Uh, Frank. This has been awesome. This is this has been really fun. It's like it's like uh, yeah, I love Brianna, but like I I I haven't talked to like another. (laughs) Gotta yeah, gotta gotta do the human interaction thing. I feel that. I feel that. Uh, it's like, and and then after this is all over, uh, we'll go get beers or something. Absolutely. And, and talk about we absolutely stuff. Do that. And and we got to figure out what we're gonna we, what we're gonna collaborate on. Collaborate on. Yeah. yeah, we need to collaborate on something. I like it. 
Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll be in contact. So I, I, I got to, I got I, I owe you some, uh, some of my stuff you sent over a couple of stories from you to check out. I got to send over uh, some of my stuff uh, for you. to Yeah. Send out some of your stuff and, and send, uh, send the novel version of stop, oh, even yeah. if it's not completely edited. Uh, yeah. I'd love to see that. I'm, I'm very curious what happens because uh, the, the short is so intriguing <laughs> and it's like, wow, that's really a cool idea. And it's like, uh, it's over. Shit. <laughs> what happens next? Come on. <laughs> You've been living in that tension for 10 years. That's right. I'm that's sorry. Right. I'm sorry I did that yeah. to you. Yeah. Well, now you that can right finally. Over. Yeah. Uh, now I can complete the story. There you go. There you go. Unless it's one of these things that it's like a trilogy. Ah. In which case. Because <laughs> ah. no matter what happens, there's always more story. That there's can be always told. more story that can be told. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So even if it is an Adam and Eve story, there's still like more story that can be told. Yep. Or even if it is like a magical kid that's evil, mm. there's more story that can be told. Present your yeah. twist, but know your cliches first. Know your cliches. Yeah. I like it. Just Anything's... don't Yeah. Good advice. Exactly. Read lots and lots of stories. Awesome. Well, Frank, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. Well, and I uh, look forward no, to checking is, out more stories coming out in analog. Uh, where can people uh, check out your stuff? Uh, well, um, okay. They should, if you, if you want to write, you should support magazines and, and, you know, booksellers that uh, support your local uh, gun sheriff. I mean, your local uh, bookstore. And, and your local uh, publications, even though your local publication may actually be from New York or from Chicago or Los Angeles or whatever. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, people read stuff online for free, but it's like that's not an entirely sustainable model. Right. So subscribe to Analog. You can get the app and you can uh, go back and read some of my stories there. Uh, uh, the, the octopus story is actually on my website. Nice. Uh, FrankWu.com. You can see some of my art and stuff there. And um, yeah, just uh, read Analog. And you can see more crazy stories about stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. I recommend it. It's, uh, like I said, one of my absolute favorite magazines. Been reading it for years. Highly worthwhile. It's where Dune was originally published in and Ender's Game, uh, Forever War. Yeah. Uh, a, a lot of great Asimov stories, um, Heinlein stories, right. just, uh, it's been around. Excellent. Excellent stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Arthur C. Clarke, the, the classics, the classics. Yeah. Yeah. Been, been here since the golden age of, uh, sci-fi as they call it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So anyway, so this, this has been really fun. So, uh, we should do this again sometime. Absolutely. I'm going to, and, uh, I'm going to want to chat with you. Right. That'd be really fun. Yeah. And then, uh, we'll go get bears. Perfect. Get vaccinated yeah. and get beers. You know, there's, there's a perfect motivation folks get vaccinated and go get beers. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> do it in that order though. Like, yeah. Do it in that order. Right. Have you been vaccinated yet? I am pre-registered and uh, eagerly oh, that's right. awaiting my my moment. Um, yeah, because I look forward to slowly getting 
back out into the world here and uh, really enjoy, you know, as opposed to the very the limited <laughs> masked uh, ventures into the world. Brianna did this uh, really brilliant thing. So um, I got to go ahead uh, a few weeks ago because the company I work for has actually done a bunch of stuff on COVID-19, both nice. the, the testing and uh, uh, attempts at making vaccines that, of course, were uh, Moderna and Pfizer were way ahead of us in time. But anyway, so um, – because of that, I, I I got to make my appointment, which Brianna made, and she purposely picked a time that was way early in the morning. <laughs> and she went with me, hoping that maybe someone wouldn't show up at 7.20 in the morning. And lo and behold, it exactly worked out, exactly like that. And she got her shot, too. Boom. So, um, yeah. 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 Yeah, ways to do it. So, yeah, I know. I've been hearing about people like showing up, at, at, you know, as vaccinations uh, centers are getting ready to to close, and then they've got doses that that are going to go bad. You, lose, you just don't want to lose them. Yeah, yeah. Just wanna, and it's like, hey, I'm I'm here. I want to get vaccinated. So it's smart. Yeah, smart. it 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 works. Yeah, mm. and and like the websites websites are not up to date. Actually, call the call the vaccination center. Yeah, because they'll. The, the live human being will give you accurate and up-to-date information on availability. Yeah. Awesome. Good yeah. to know. Good to know. Yeah. Good. Yeah. yeah. The more you know. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Frank, thank you so much. And uh, say hello to Brianna for me. And uh, yeah. please stay safe and well and look forward you to too. chatting more soon. Yeah, that sounds great. Awesome. This was, this was a lot of fun. That's great. Thank you. Well, there you have it, folks. That was my discussion with Mr. Frank Wu. Uh, a lot of fun. And I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Really a lot to unpack there. And I'm sure we'll be seeing or hearing from Frank uh, again in the future. Uh, very excited to let you know that upcoming episode, I'm going to be discussing uh, machinehood by S.B. Divya, and very excited to have her on the show as a guest, and I can't wait to hear from her and that story, so keep an eye or ear out for that episode coming up very soon, and otherwise, as always, please do uh, check out michaelwhistler.com, where you can see my blog entries, hear about uh, my books and different things like that there. And be sure to check out frankwu.com and see some of his artwork and uh, learn more about his writing. And uh, as Frank suggested, you know, find a magazine, science fiction magazine that you want to check out and subscribe. I do that myself. So thank you guys for listening. And uh, continue to be safe out there and be well. Take care. Take good care of yourself for real. And uh, keep asking those big questions and enjoying good science fiction. We'll see you soon.